All right. Well, for those that are on the email list, up at the top we have Ezekiel 40. That's just because I pulled from an old outline for the to get the outline. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a certain outline that I create for this. So it's the only way I can get it on my home computer because we started over there before I ever get down here on Wednesday. So just ignore that. I have, uh, I, as I mentioned to you on Facebook, I changed the way we did the outline because the uh, comments I got last week was it was a lot of information in a short period of time. So here's what we did. We, um, we cut down a little bit on, on what we're covering and I changed the way we did the outline on this and each of these letters, the A's, the B's, and the C's, each of those is the lesson that we are pulling from. I have the date of that lesson. If you want to go look it up for the podcast and so forth, the date is there, except for one week. I couldn't fit the date in. I had to actually take it out. There was not enough room to give you the references and the um, and the date on that line. So uh, if you want that, I have it written still on mine. But you can also pretty much figure it out. But the number nine on this first one, number nine is the ninth lesson in the series. Wicked Counselors, that is the title of the series. And 925.19, that is the date. So if you are unsure something is not uh, clicking in your mind, as we begin to review all these different lessons, uh, you can go back and, and find the original a lot easier than the way I did the outline last time. Last time I was trying to do the outline in a way to... to demonstrate the flow of the passages we were looking at this one we're we're just uh changing that up so hopefully this will be uh, a little bit easier for you to see but let's go on over here to ezekiel chapter 11 we're not reading out of each of the chapters that we're in but we are reading out of most of the chapters that we're in one of these chapters you may remember we told you was the least covered of all his prophetic messages and the one that uh, certain synagogues would have an age restriction before they would read it. And we will cover that briefly on the in this review. But let's take a look at, at these things. We're going to see that God is going to, uh, God is giving them a reminder of the principles in each of these lessons about wicked counselors, and some of the things that these false prophets and teachers will do for them. In Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 1, Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house, which faces eastward. This is the one directly opposite from the temple. There's the north gate and the south gate. You remember the significance of the east gate. And there at the door of the gate were 25 men, among whom I saw... Jazaniah, the son of Azur, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, princes of the people. And he said to me, Son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and give wicked counsel in this city. So there's 25 men here. He recognizes two of them. That may mean that the other 23 he doesn't recognize, or maybe he recognizes them and doesn't know their name. That could, that could be. Uh, maybe they've uh, replaced some. Remember, the uh, primary people of the city were taken into captivity during the first two waves. Daniel was taken in the first wave. Ezekiel was taken in the second wave. So some of the people that stood in that grouping of 25 counselors may have been replaced on Ezekiel's um, 
uh, departure. And so some of those may be new people, and he doesn't know them, but a couple of the people were left behind, and he makes mention of them here as uh, Jezaniah and Pelatiah. And he said to me, Son of man, these are men who devise iniquity and give wicked counsel in this city, who say the time is not near to build houses. This city is a cauldron, and we are the meat. Therefore prophesy against them, prophesy, O son of man. Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said to me, Speak, thus says the Lord, thus you have said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. Now one of the things we reviewed with you, put out as a question before we took this one on, is, is that if you ever receive a prophetic word from multiple people who have no connection to each other, maybe you go to a meeting in one city, and they prophesy over you and go to a meeting in a whole other city with a whole different group of people leading the meeting. And they prophesy over you exactly the same thing as the other people did. Maybe use a lot of the same phrases, uh, point to a lot of the same events, and go to a third meeting, and they do the same thing. And this thing just keeps happening. A lot of times people take that as, this must be God. How many times have you ever heard that? This must be God. This, these people all said the same thing to me, and none of them know each other. It is not always that it is God because of the um, the commonalities between the prophecies. But what it will tell you is that the source of the prophecies is the same. It could very well be that the source is not God; it is a source of evil, and that's why the that's why the uh, inspiration is the same. Uh, over the years, I've uh, mentioned a few of these to you, but sometimes the news media will uh, capture on a phrase. And even though there's supposedly no connection between the different news medias, you will see every single one of them use this same phrase. It's like an event happens on Monday, Tuesday's newscast, Monday night's newscast, they're all using the same phrase. Where do they all get the same phrase from? I think the first time I had seen this or was pointed out for me was um, back when one of the presidents who was running picked a vice presidential candidate, and they all use this word, he has gravitas. I don't even think I heard that word before. But it was on every single newscast and every single written piece of news that was talking about this event, they all used that exact same word. Now, it's, it's a lot of times you'll see this. It's a weird word that they use or a weird phrase that they use, but it's all the way through it. And it just lends the the thought for a lot of people that there's a single source that all these folks are getting stuff from. Whatever the source that is. But just because you get a prophetic word and that word comes to you from different sources in different places with no apparent connection, you make sure you don't follow it because of that. It has to bear witness with something in your spirit. Now this is what we're seeing here with the with the folks in the in captivity. Some of the things that the false prophets are saying around Jeremiah are the same things that the false prophets are saying around Ezekiel. And for some people, they want that to confirm this must be God. Now, it's also the case that the things that Jeremiah is saying go right in line with what Ezekiel is saying. It just depends on which one people want to believe. Of course, they wanted to believe the false prophets more than they wanted to believe the true prophets. But anyway, two of these leaders are named. And what is interesting is that um, they're both found on clay tablets. 
both of these names are on clay tablets, along with Jeremiah and his and his scribe Baruch. If you remember him from from Scripture, his name isn't uh, mentioned quite as often as Jeremiah's is, but uh, we found clay t- clay tablets from around that time frame, and these guys are all all mentioned. So that's just a confirmation of what the Bible has written down for this. Now I messed up somehow. I must have reworded this and just didn't reword it again right. But Jeremiah and Ezekiel taught that submission to Babylon. I put in there was not only the way to, and I don't even know what I was trying to change it to, but <laughs> they taught that submission to Babylon was the only way to salvation. That was the only way that they were going to save their lives is if they submitted to Babylon. The false prophets are saying to resist Babylon. They all said to fortify the city and resist the Babylonians and that God would help them. Now, um, that particular verse uh, 3, if you want to go back to the original lesson, we spent some time on that and showed you some things in different uh, different scriptures, different translations, to help us understand verse 3. The time is not near to build houses. The city is the cauldron and we are the meat. Uh, basically, they were using that as a, we need to, to fortify the city because we're going to cook inside the city if we don't fortify it, if we don't make it stronger. We have to be able to resist the Babylonians. In verse 13 of chapter 11, Now it happened while I was prophesying that Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, died. Then I fell on my face and cried with a loud voice, Oh, our Lord God, will you make a complete end of the remnant of Israel? Now this should speak to some people that if you've got 25 leaders and the prophet is standing up against them and one of them drops dead, just drops dead, just right there, nothing wrong with them, just falls over and dies. You would think people would take notice and say, hmm, maybe Ezekiel's telling the truth here. The same thing happened in Jeremiah 28. You can look that up later on if you want to on your own. But Hananiah in Jeremiah, uh, he was, he was a part of that vision that was there too. Um, well, Pelatiah falls dead in the vision that Ezekiel has. Hananiah actually does fall dead right there in, in with the people. So again, if a word comes to you from multiple people using similar words, phrases, same message, Make sure it confirms what you already are feeling from the Spirit of God because God leads you by His Spirit, not by prophetic words. If you get led by prophetic words, you're going to have a, have a tough time. We went on from there to Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house which has eyes to see but does not see and ears to hear but does not hear for they are a rebellious house. This is the one I think I couldn't fit the date on. That's October the 2nd, which uh, probably just the week after the, the one before. But but he's, he's telling them, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house. These are the people that are in exile. You'd think that exile would have uh, done some things for them, but it didn't. They're still rebellious. They have eyes to see, but they don't see. They have the ability to see these things that God is saying, but they don't see them. They have ears to hear these things that God is saying, but they don't hear them because they are a rebellious house, he says. Rebellion in any form or degree will cause you not to see and hear 
as well as you should, and you will become dull. Any form of rebellion against God will bring the inability to hear and the inability to see what it is that God is saying and what it is that God is doing. And this, and the devil loves this. This is why he loves to get rebellion into the people of God. Because if we start to rebel, even though we think we're on the same side, just like we saw with, with David, some of his men who were very loyal, rebelled against David, but they thought they were doing what was best for the kingdom. This is how the, the enemy always gets us to be pulled off on this side. We think we're doing the things for the kingdom, but we're rebelling against God. If he gets that rebellion in us, our ability to hear is lessened. Our ability to see is lessened. Then he can show us his stuff and we see it instead. And then that cycle just kind of push, pushes it right along. I become more rebellious because now I'm yielding to the things that I'm seeing in Satan's kingdom and I'm not seeing the things in God King's, God's kingdom. And I become more and more rebellious, which means I hear less and less and I see less and less. It's a cycle that God tries to break by sending along his prophets, by sending along his word nowadays. In the church age, he sends his spirit, but people can shut that down. Uh, Jeremiah 5, verse 21, Hear this now, O foolish people without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. Well, these, these folks are the, going about the same thing. They have the same problem that the people that Ezekiel is ministering to have have. Well, they're the same people. They came out of the same situation, just some were brought into exile. Isaiah 6, 9 and 10, And he said, Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and the ears and their ears heavy. And shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Now Jesus quotes this in Matthew 13, verses 13 through 15. So what was true in Ezekiel and Jeremiah's day is true in Jesus' day. And he quotes that same verse for them. Chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go from your place into captivity to another place in their sight. It may be they will consider, though they are a rebellious house. God says it may be. They haven't shown any sign of doing this so far, but it may be. <laughs> We're going to do this anyway, just in case they decide to, to go. God's basically saying, they aren't. But we're going to give them this opportunity so they can't say they didn't have an opportunity. It may be they will consider, though they are a rebellious house. By day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight as though going into captivity. And at evening you shall go in their sight like those who go into captivity. Dig through the wall in their sight and carry your belongings out through it. In their sight you shall bear them on your shoulders and carry them out at twilight. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground. For I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. So he is supposed to make a show out of this. He's supposed to take his time making sure that everybody understood or saw what was going on. The phrase in their sight is used 13 times in 11 verses in the entirety of Scripture. Here, here we see in this chapter seven times in five verses. It's used a total of nine times in Ezekiel. So of the 13 times this phrase in their sight is used, nine are in Ezekiel. Four are elsewhere. 
And of those nine total times that Ezekiel used this, seven times are in this chapter. We see this phrase, in their sight. God wants this done in their sight. says it seven different times. Now, through the wall is probably referring to the wall of his house. There is a different Hebrew word that you would use if you are referring to the wall of a city. And that is not the word that is used here. So it likely depicts the attempt by Zedekiah to breach the walls and escape the besieged city in 2 Kings chapter 25. But he's doing it out of his house. Now there might be some implications if he's a captive and he goes and digs a hole in the wall of the city. That could be a problem. Uh, there might be some authorities that have issue with that. But if he wants to dig a wall in his own house, I guess he can do that. That's his house. So that's what he's told to do. This is what God says to do. Go into your house, dig a hole in the wall, and, and so forth. So I did as I was commanded. I brought out all my belongings by day as though going into captivity. And at evening, I dug through the wall with my hand. I brought them out at twilight and I bore them on my shoulder in their sight. Now we talked about this, why such dramatic messages. There were many false prophets and this probably set him apart from them. Some of the things that he would do that, that were dramatic really took over his life and it's very doubtful that someone who has, who is a false prophet would have that same dedication, would have that same ability to do it. God gave him supernatural ability to do some of those things he was told to do. This one doesn't take as much supernatural ability, but God gave him specific direction and he follows it. Now this gave people an interesting thing to talk about. Instead of just hearing something, you're seeing it. How much more, uh, how much easier is it to talk about something that you saw? Oh, you know what I saw at the Walmart? Right? Because we, we saw something and we described what we saw at the, at the Walmart or what I saw when I was driving on the, on the road or wherever it might be. I saw something. I want to describe what it is that I saw. It's a whole lot easier to do that than uh, something I heard. Something I saw perks people's interest more. So they're seeing something. So that they have an interest. So they're going to uh, be more apt to promote this. So even though not everyone may have seen Ezekiel do this, they would all hear about it before too long. Did you hear what Ezekiel did last night? Let me tell you, I was I was watching this. I was out there and I saw the whole thing. I saw it from what happened in the beginning to what happened in the nighttime. Verse 8, In the morning the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Now in the morning would indicate here that Ezekiel does not know why he is doing what he's doing. He is told to do something. And he does it. And in the morning, he gets the understanding of it. I think one of the hardest things to do is to follow instructions that you don't understand the meaning of. Have you ever done tried to put a piece of furniture together? And you see one of the steps, and because of your lack of understanding of the whole project, you look at it and say, I don't really need to do that. <laughs> Because I think I have a better understanding. And so I skip that step or I do something different than what is exactly indicated there. 
It's a tough thing to do to follow instructions exactly when we do not have an understanding of why we should do it. Now, once we mess up on that piece of furniture (laughs) and we end up having to take the whole thing apart, then we will follow the directions exactly as they are. (laughs) And I'm not going on until, especially if you've ever made anything from Ikea. I think that is the worst furniture to put together. This is why they have people that are professionals that come in and they assemble that stuff for you because they have been through it a few times. I don't like their instructions. I like words. They like pictures. I don't understand their pictures. It's one of the things I always tell people when they uh, when they say, I think I'll pick up the bunk bed and put it together myself. I said, well, don't worry about it. I give you instructions and I give you words. And I don't do no bilingual instructions either. If you don't know English, you're up a creek. Because I, I don't know any other, any other language to write it in. I know English. That's it. So if you want Spanish instructions, you'll have to find somebody who knows Spanish and English and can read them to you in, in Spanish because I, uh, I am not bilingual. I struggle with English, I think, sometimes. <laughs> But anyway, in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? So, it seems like from what God says to him that he passed this test, that he did exactly what God said, even though he did not have the understanding of it. Sometimes we can't always appreciate what was up against him there. Remember, he has a wife. What would, your, what would you think would happen in a household where Ezekiel, married to a wife, to have a house? I don't know how they got this house, but they have this house in a foreign land. They're captives. That means their job opportunities are probably limited. Their income is probably limited. And here he is, honey... I have to dig a hole in the wall. How, how well do you think that's going to go over? Now, he's still early on in the ministry. Or he's, he's got a lot more things to go on. Not a lot of the stuff that has proved him to be a prophet of God has, has happened yet. People still are they're on the fence about Ezekiel. We're not sure about this guy. He does some really weird things. And, you know, his wife, when she married him, Probably married a normal guy. He wasn't doing all this stuff and then this call of God comes upon him and now he's out there laying on his side for all these days and then flips over and lays on the other side. He's uh, rationing out his food and cooking it over dung. And she's got to be saying, has my husband gone mad? I, I just think that that could very well happen because the visions come to Ezekiel, not to his wife. Now, I don't know how much confidence she has. She might have great confidence. She's like, honey, if you heard from God, go for it. Dig a hole in that wall. Tear it down if you want to. But I don't know what where she was at. He may have been facing a battle on that front. And maybe she said, look, instead of digging a hole in the wall, how about if you just climb through the window? <laughs> maybe he's thinking that too because he's digging through this with his hands. I don't know what kind of a wall they have there, but... I imagine it's not the easiest thing to dig through with your hand. Why not just we'll demonstrate the same thing 
I'll go out the window. But he doesn't do it. If he was facing any opposition from his wife, if he was facing any opposition in his own head, he doesn't listen to it. He doesn't even talk about it if it's there. I just can't picture him not having some of this stuff going on. But he just doesn't. You know the enemy. And you know the enemy wants to come and pervert whatever it is that God has said. And make it not be exactly as God had said it. I wonder how many times Ezekiel heard the word, Has God really said? Did God really say you had to dig a hole through that wall? Or are you just supposed to go through the wall like just you know go out to the window? Has God really said you have to do this all in the daytime? And then part of it at night? Why don't you just do it all at the same time? He's probably facing these things just like you face these things, but he doesn't give in. And he does it exactly as God said. And in the morning, he gets the understanding. Now, you'll notice this down the road, that the understanding of the vision is not always withheld. But here it is. God does not give him the understanding of what he is doing until after he has done it. And he does exactly what he's supposed to do. Now his actions were prophetic of what was going to happen probably to King Zedekiah, who was the prince in Jerusalem. He's mentioned in verse 10. The real king, as it seems to be depicted here, is Jehoiachin, who was in exile. He's doing pretty well in exile, but he's still in exile. The one who's in Jerusalem is the one set up by Babylon. In the Bible here, the prophecies of Ezekiel call him the prince, not the king. Seems to make a distinction on that. Now, Ezekiel's actions are to show that additional exiles are coming to Babylon, not the other way around. The false prophets are saying, we are all going back home. Ezekiel is saying, no, more are on the way. Verse 11, say I am assigned to you as I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity and the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. Now when it says here he shall cover his face, it may indicate that Zedekiah would wear a disguise as he fled. The Septuagint follows this view In translating the verse, he shall cover his face so that he may not be seen by eye. It may also refer to the blinding that Zedekiah has done by his captors at Riblah. This event was clearly referred to in verse 13, yet he shall not see it. Zedekiah's sons were killed before his eyes and then he was blinded. So the last thing he would see was the death of his sons. And then he was carried off back to Babylon where he died. Ezekiel told uh, told about this before it ever happened. Now, Josephus made this note. You may remember me bringing this up to you. That Ezekiel sent a copy of this prophecy to Zedekiah. He would be, of course, the prince. Uh, however, fancying a contradiction between Ezekiel twelve thirteen, he shall not see Babylon, and Jeremiah twenty four eight and nine, declaring he should be carried to Babylon, believed neither. 
So because Jeremiah had already declared to him that he was going to be carried off into Babylon, and Ezekiel says, you shall not see Babylon, he decided, aha, there's a contradiction here with these two, so I'm going to toss them both out. Now they both were right. Because he was carried off to Babylon, but he was blinded, so he did not see Babylon. Now how would you like to be the one giving the prophecy, and you can't understand how is that going to work if he knew what Jeremiah prophesied, I'd say my hat's off to him even more for being able to give this prophecy because I think myself, but Jeremiah said he'd be coming out here. How is it that he's not going to see it? Now, there are three falsehoods exposed in this prophecy. The first one is their belief that they will be returning to Jerusalem soon and that its preservation is a sign and security to them. The preservation of Jerusalem because it's still there. It hasn't been burned down. hasn't been knocked down. It's still there. That's feeding their thought, we are going back. Now, since this doom has been prophesied by Ezekiel and others for a long time now, but it hasn't happened, therefore it's not going to happen. Uh, verse 21 of uh, Ezekiel 12, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, what is this proverb that you, that you people have about the land of Israel, which says, The days are prolonged and every vision fails. The um, the Hebrew version consists of four words. The four words are, first off, they lengthen. Second, the days. Third, and it dies. The fourth, every vision. So all together, they lengthen the days and it dies every vision. We've translated it, the days are prolonged. And every vision fails. Now, that's the second falsehood. That uh, first off, that they would be going back to Jerusalem. Secondly, that because the days are prolonged, it's really not going to happen. Verse 23, Tell them therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, the days are at hand in the fulfillment of every vision. Now, this is another four word thing that he throws at them. They had their four words that they used and here's the here's his four-word proverb back to them. They draw near the days and the word of every vision. So they draw near, then the days, third word and the word of, and the fourth word, every vision. So he's just uh, throwing it right back there at them. The days are at hand, we translate it this way, the days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. So the days may have been prolonged, but the days are now. And the vision hasn't failed. It will be fulfilled. For no more shall there be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will no more be postponed. For in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the, the word and performance, says the Lord. So he's telling them, he said, this is not something that's future, it's going to be in your days. And this is falsehood number three. If judgment is to come, it won't be in our lifetime, so we won't see it. So in, in this proverb, uh, prophecy, three of the falsehoods, and there's others too that he addresses and the ones that are to come, but three of these falsehoods are exposed and God tells him what he thinks about those things. Now, I said this before, this is the prophecy that I believe changed Ezekiel's ministry. 
as he showed God how much he could be trusted. God, you can speak a word to me, and though I lack any understanding of it at all, I will speak it, I will do it, I will perform it exactly as you gave it to me. I won't interpret it, I won't try and improve it, I won't try and make it better. How many times do we hear something from God and we decide, oh, I can make that better, I'll use it this way. Oh, if I do this, it'll rhyme. (laughs) Something along, along those lines. We can find some way to improve it. No, if God gives you a word, He needs to trust you to be able to say it exactly as He said it. Any attempt by us to improve what God has said will diminish the word. And Ezekiel is showing He can be trusted this way. God doesn't ever have to exhort Him. Look, I told you to say it like this. I told you to do it like this. Never has to do that. He's able to um, perform exactly the way God asked Him to without any understanding of what God is doing. And after this, you will see that the visions he receives do change and they begin to grow from here and he gets very detailed things and he just still continues to speak them out. In 2 Timothy 4 and 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. So just as much as it was true in Jesus' day and Paul's day, even so it's going to be now. It was true in Ezekiel's day. It's been all true through history. People will not like sound doctrine. If the word of God comes through a prophet, through a teacher, through a pastor, through an apostle, whatever ministry is bringing the word of God, there will be people who won't like it. There will be people who won't endure that sound doctrine but decide I'm going to stick with what I believe is to be true. And they will throw out those things, and this is what Ezekiel is facing, it's what Paul faced, what Jesus faced. And in Second Timothy, we read that the time is coming when it's going to get even worse. So as bad as it was in those days, it will become worse. Even today, many think that as God's judgment has not come, it never will. People have been saying that Jesus is going to return for how long now? He hasn't returned yet. People have been saying that the world's going to be judged. For how long now? Hasn't been judged. Well, they'll see. They'll come up with their cute phrases and their incredible earthly wisdom, but it will not negate the words that God has spoken. So even today, there are those who will say that there is no judgment coming and others that will say, if it does come, it will come after we're dead. Just like they did in Ezekiel's day. Second Peter 3 and 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts. So they'll scoff the things that God has said and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Mm-hmm. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. People are always saying it's going to change. People are always saying God's going to do this. It hasn't happened. Therefore, it's not going to happen. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11, Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Why should I give up doing evil? People have been saying that this would be judged. It hasn't. I'm just going to keep on doing it. So they keep on going. 
Amos 6 and verse 3, Woe to you who put far off the day of doom, who caused the seat of violence to come near. Matthew 24 and verse 44, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Don't think He is coming. And yet there He is. Jeremiah 5 and verse 30, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so, but what will you do in the end? So this attitude was there even before Ezekiel's day. It's there in Ezekiel's day. It's there after Ezekiel's day. It's there in Jesus' day. It's there in Paul's day. It's there after Paul's day. And the New Testament writes and said, in the last days, it's going to be worse. So verse uh, 1 of chapter 13, let's move on there. This is about those that were not sent. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. They follow their own spirit, but they have not seen anything that God has shown them. These are the false prophets of Israel. These are the ones who stand up and say, Thus says the Lord. I have seen this. I have heard this. This is the word of the Lord. Now, look at this. Look at the way he phrases this. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, Hear the word of the Lord. Why does God call them the prophets of Israel? He says nothing to question or strip them of this title. It says they prophesy out of their own hearts so they're not his prophets. Now it may be that this title is kept intact so that the judgment that comes on them will be for the office that they profess to have. People who want to go out there and say, I'm a prophet. I'm an apostle. I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. I'm an event. Whatever it is, they want to proclaim that they are certain things but God hasn't called them to it. God seems to just sit on back and say, go ahead and take that title. Because now, if you're going to take that title, you're going to take the judgment of that title, which you don't have the grace of God to fulfill. That judgment is going to be bad. So here are people who took on the title of prophet, but apparently, they're not speaking God's word. Now, it might also be that they were truly called to be prophets, but they followed the wrong path. They didn't go down the right way. They they gave in to the wrong spirits, the wrong spiritual influences. They were called to it, but they followed after it the wrong way. Just like Moses was called to be a deliverer, but he followed after it the wrong way. And these they can do the same thing. Now he says here in verse 3, Woe to the foolish prophets! So he uses the word foolish. Foolish is the word Nabal. You remember a name that way in the in the Old Testament. But that's stupid, wicked, foolish, or vile person. A fool is morally and spiritually insensitive. If you see somebody who's, who's acting in a way that is morally and spiritually insensitive, you would say, boy, they're acting foolish. They're, they're, they're a fool. They are generally inclined to atheism, blasphemy, 
and gross immorality. Psalm 14, 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have not done abominable works. There is none who does good. Now, God is calling them a foolish prophet. That's what the Psalm says about the fool. 78, 4, verse 18, Remember this, that the enemy has reproached, O Lord, and that a foolish people has blasphemed your name. You have to be pretty foolish to blaspheme the name of God, who is God Almighty, who has the power to completely annihilate you in a fraction of a second. Who is literally holding your body together. Second Samuel 13, 13, And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would like, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. If you remember the story that came from, maybe enough of that in, in there to, to let you know it was not a good story, it was not a good ending, caused a lot of problems. But this was a person who was acting foolishly and immorally. Now, Ezekiel described the basic cause of their foolishness as their reliance on their own hearts and failure to seek God's revelation. When we speak out of the revelation of our own heart and don't speak out of the wisdom of God, we are using foolish words. The hearts of these people and their prophets had grown corrupt and perverse. And following their own hearts made them think their perversions were God's revelations. But God said they had seen nothing. So the perverse things they had in their heart, they saw as God's revelations and presented them as such. And there are people today that will do the same thing. Ezekiel 13 and verse 4, O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. Now foxes... The Hebrew word is the same for jackals. They dig holes and create places that cause stumbling. So they're basically causing stumbling blocks all around the place and it makes uh, walking dangerous. That's what the prophets are doing. By their words, they're creating stumbling blocks or stumbling areas. Things that will cause you to trip, to fall. Verse 5, you have gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. They have envisioned futility and false divination, saying, Thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not sent them. Yet they hoped that the word may be confirmed. <laughs> wow. So they're speaking this thing and they hope that, well, that uh, the word that they're speaking will be confirmed. They're not speaking this thing thinking it'll never happen. They're hoping that what they're saying will actually come about. But they haven't heard from God. When you hear from God, like Ezekiel heard from God, he knows it's coming about. But these people, they hope that what things they have seen in their own heart, they're hoping that they come about and prove them to be right. They made promises in the name of God that God did not make. Some of them were, we are going home in two years. God won't permit anyone to destroy the temple. If Babylon does come, Egypt will help us destroy them. And a fourth one, peace is coming. There is a stronger condemnation to those who lead people in error than those who fall into it. Ezekiel 13 and verse 7, Have you not seen a futile vision and have you not spoken false divination? You say the Lord says, but I have not spoken. Boy, we got to be careful when we say the Lord says. We better know that the Lord said it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies, therefore I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. 
Now he's speaking in particular about a prophetic message. But this same thing could be applied to someone who takes teaching from either the Old or New Testament and twists it to say something that God never said. Because what we are saying, if we, if we teach something falsely, this is what this passage means. And it doesn't mean that. I am doing the same thing that a false prophet would be doing in presenting, thus says the Lord. Because I'm saying that His Word says these things. And His Word doesn't say that. Sometimes I know it, and I say it anyway. Because, uh, you know, people, well, there's, if I come up with a new revelation, then I'll be in demand. And people will want me to come in and speak and, and so forth. And so people give in to this. And once you give in once to a false, false spirit teaching something from the Word, you'll give in a second time. And a third. And you'll start feeding on this, this false stuff. And this is how people just go down a wrong direction. Paul talked about some of those that were his ministry who went down a wrong direction. But there have been people, I know a couple of cases in particular, um, Rhema graduates, who began to teach things that were far off and wrong, tried to use the Word of God to support it. It got to be so bad. I believe in this one case, this one church, um, I know about where it was at. I think it's still in existence. I think it is. I don't know. It's, I have no contact with them. But um heard about this. Brother Hagen himself went out there to confront them because it was a large work. And they were using the Rhema name. You know, we graduated from Rhema. And so they were concerned about this because the stuff they were doing, I mean, it was, it was really bad. <laughs> it was, re- I, I can't emphasize it. It was really really bad. I mean, so much so that you would encourage people to run and get out of there. It was, uh, uh, there was a lot of abusive people that was happening in this church under this name. And so they, uh, they legally went out there and said, you cannot use the name of Raymond in anything that you're doing. And severed all ties and did everything that they could on that. But, uh, you know, how much, if people are going to keep on going that direction, there isn't too much, at least not in this country, that you can that you can do about that from, from their standpoint. But once you start receiving false words about the Word of God, you'll receive more. It's particularly tough when somebody gets a word and they think this is what the Bible's teaching. They begin to teach. This is what the Bible's teaching. And someone comes up and says, no, it's not. Look at here, 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 and here. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, no, no. And they just refuse that. And this can be a problem. Now, you know, you, as we grow older, you know, you learn more. I've learned more. But I know that there was some stuff I, I believed when I first got out of school. And, and now I look back and say, dear Lord, why in the world did I believe that? I've learned better in, in that. But even there, in some of those, those things, I would, when I would teach them, I would teach them and say, now look, I, I don't have all the understanding on this because there are some scriptures, and I would say what they were. There are script, and I don't understand how they fit in. And I would tell them that. I don't understand how they fit in. But this is what I know. And what I knew was wrong. Eventually I learned some things. Oh, I see how that fits in and this fits in. Now I got it. And that was, that was better. But you have to be, be in a place where you'll receive that. And not everybody is. They start to, to, to go out. Especially once you start feeding off of that false stuff, it gives your flesh a surge. 
And, and once you decide, I'd rather have the surge that comes to my flesh instead of the feeding that comes to my spirit, you are in a bad way. So therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies, therefore I am indeed against you. God says, I am against you. Now, nonsense, if God is in what they say, then what about all the idolatry that was going on in the temple? What about the sacrificing of children that they were doing? What about the neglect and the corruption of the temple that was, that was happening? How did Jerusalem come to fall the first time? If God was in these things, how does all this happen? How can you say God is in this, God is coming, He's going to help us, but they've already fallen. And then, then they fell a second time. And you're still going to say God is in this? They envision lies. These people saw something, but it was inspired by their own corrupt hearts. Once you let corruption in, it can start to illuminate. And the Word of God in the New Testament says, if the, the light that we have is darkness, how great is that darkness? There's an illumination that comes for these folks, but it's a dark darkness that is illuminating them. Verse 10 in Ezekiel, Because indeed... Because they have seduced my people saying peace when there is no peace and no one builds a wall and they plaster it with untempered mortar. We spent some time talking about what this was that uh, it, it can't hold up. You just basically go up against it and push it and it's just going to fall apart on them. But there is no peace here. It's a false peace. Some of the false peace that we have in the Word of God there's the peace of unbelief. I have no convictions. No nagging conscience to bother me. I'm at peace. Because I'm an unbelief. <laughs> That's a false peace. That's not a right one. There's a peace of self-righteousness. I have such a high view of myself that the thought of how good it is for God that I'm on His side. And I'm at peace. There's a peace of presumption. Presumes on God's mercy and believes that God is too kind to punish evil. And I'm at peace. God's not going to punish evil. He's a good God. So these are some of the false pieces. You could probably, you know, piece together some more. In Micah chapter 3, verse 5, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. That may be kind of hard to understand, so I gave it to you in the lesson in the NCV. The New Century Version. The Lord says this about the prophets who teach His people the wrong way of living. If these prophets are given food to eat, they shout peace. But if someone doesn't give them what they ask for, they call for a holy war against that person. Boy, that makes a whole lot more sense, doesn't it? Verse 19 of Ezekiel. And will you profane me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, killing people who should not die and keep people alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies? And that verse kind of sheds light on why the New Century Version translated the way they did. Listening to lies can become a habit. Once we start listening to lies pretty soon only lies fulfill that aspect of us. Now they could be speaking here so as to have those killed who should have lived because of their righteousness and those who should die because of their wickedness to live. 
So the righteous people who should live, they go out and kill. The people who should die because of their wickedness, they should live. I don't know. I, I sometimes think about that in some of the states that we're in here where they're releasing murderers and rapists out of prison and putting in their place pastors and people who haven't done anything of any violence. I, I don't understand that when it was happening, but there's something going on in the land of Israel here for this, this purpose. Those that deserved to die for their wickedness were allowed to live. And apparently God's not very happy with that. Now, if you go back to the lesson, I'm not going to get into them here. That APP, wherever you see that, that's the application part, but I'm trying to, you know, abbreviate things. <laughs> Don't have a whole lot of space, even though I doubled up on the, on the pages. But there's ten characteristics of false teachers. So if you go back to that lesson, you can get all ten of those and see the characteristics of false teachers that are there. Going on here to Ezekiel 14, verse 1. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put them before them, that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? And you remember this one. (laughs) Should God allow us to ask questions? Or is there anyone that God says, I don't want to hear from you? And apparently there is. So these elders come to Ezekiel. It seems they had a question, but they never got to ask it. And God said himself, should I let them inquire of me? Seems to be the answer God is saying is, "Uh uh-uh. No. Now just think about this. If you have somebody, a relative, especially a relative, and you see this relative going down a wrong path, and you keep telling them the whole way, don't do that. Don't, don't put your money there. Don't spend that. Don't buy that. Don't do that. You keep telling them that. And over and over, they ignore your advice. They do what they want to do. And they get themselves in all kinds of financial trouble, housing trouble, their cars. and They, they can't get to their job. they got all kinds of trouble going along. And then they come to you and they sit down. I need some help. What are you going to say? Yeah. Now you come and you want help? I've been trying to tell you stuff all along the way. You've ignored it. And now you want me to help you? This is where God is. I've been telling you all along the way, don't do this. Don't get in this area. Now you want to come and ask me for some help? Now, there were many false prophets that these elders could have gone to who would assure them that everything would be all right. But obviously, their word did not completely satisfy. So they came to Ezekiel. Isn't that interesting? They got all these people who agree with them, who are telling them Babylon's going to fall, Jerusalem's going to stand. They're telling them all the things they want to hear. But they come to Ezekiel, who is telling them something completely opposite. Very interesting that they would do this. It is obvious that the word they got from the false prophets does not completely satisfy So they've come to Ezekiel. Now, if you want a a way to understand this, do it this way. Everybody here like pasta? All right. Well, we will forget Keith. It was Daryl. No, no, Keith is Keith is over here. Oh, Daryl, say no. All right, you can leave. No, I'm only kidding. 
we'll just pick something generic like pasta. I mean, if you can say, I like pasta, and um, uh, if you like, I like, I like pasta. And you know, when you're in the mood for pasta, and you're at home, if if you don't know how to make the, the sauce from scratch, then you're stuck with whatever's in the jar. Now, it don't take uh, too much intelligence to know that the stuff in the jar is not as good as the stuff you would make from scratch. Now, those of you who've been around here for a long time know that uh, there's a particular restaurant around here that I just absolutely love. Lombardi's makes the best sauces. My wife and I, we both love that place. And I haven't tasted a bad sauce in that place yet. Every sauce they make is a good sauce. And if you have the option of getting a Lombardi's or opening up a jar of ragu, (laughs) I mean, which one is going to satisfy you? (laughs) See, this is what it is. Even though I can get ragu anytime I want, there's just, it's just not quite right. It isn't, it isn't quite there. It's, it's just not there. These, these guys in the back here like steak. So, you know, if they were to go to just a, a diner and get a steak, well, that's not going to be the same thing as going to one of the steakhouses that they really like. There's a difference. In the, the steak tastes different. They get a better cut of meat. They prepare it differently. There are chefs cooking it. And not just somebody that they just pulled in off the street this week. This, there's a, there's an expertise to that. What they're finding is, I'm hearing this stuff, but it's not satisfying my spirit. It feeds my flesh. And they, they know we've got to get something else. Let's go to Ezekiel. We need, even though we don't like what it is that he says, he gives us the real word. Now, a word is given to Ezekiel for them. They're not going to like it. They were going to come with a, with a question, and they were pretty sure they weren't going to like the answer, but now they're not going to get to ask the question. They're not going to get an answer to that question. They're going to get something else. They have set up idols in the heart. Now, there's no physical idol here that one can be seen worshiping. But one they set up in their hearts where no man can see, but God can see it. So it seemed to indicate that they know they shouldn't have this and they try to keep it a secret. You set up idols in your heart. If you weren't embarrassed about it, you'd put it out there. But you know you shouldn't be doing it. You know you shouldn't have that idol. But you got it. Idols cause their worshipers to first off fall into iniquity and secondly to be estranged from God. We went on here and talked about, is there an idol in me? We gave you four things. Did I put those four things in your outline? Mm-hmm. All right, good. I wasn't, I wasn't sure how much I had to delete out of, out of there, but the four things were, are you willing to compromise spiritual truths for it? If you have something that is so dear to you, you will compromise the Word of God, you will compromise the principles that God has given you in order to keep that idol in your life. That's an idol. Will hindrances to it send you into a rage-filled anger? If something hinders you from following that, pursuing that, having that idol in your life, does it get you really irate and mad? Does it have more value than people? Will you crush people in order to keep that idol? And does it move you closer to God or further away? These are things that will help us identify what kind of idols we have. We spent more time on that when we got into the lesson. Let's move on here. 
We went into the fruitless vine. This is Ezekiel 15 into 16. Ezekiel 15 is the shortest of the chapters of Ezekiel. I believe it's only eight verses long. It is followed by chapter 16, which is longer than some minor prophets. (laughs) But we saw that a parable, it was a parable of a fruitless vine, that a vine has no useful wood at all because there's no strength to the wood. It's a vine. It can wrap around things. It can move. So if it is fruitless, it is completely useless. And the only thing you can do with a vine that has no fruit, that bears no fruit, is to burn it up. There's no other, there's no other function for it. You just got to destroy it. And that's what he gets into in, in chapter 15, the fruitless vine, that Israel has become a fruitless vine. In chapter 16, it begins with the story of the history of the cities, of the city of uh, Jerusalem, the city's founding, how she became despised, but God loved her. She had a, uh, she had heathen parents, it put it. That she was not born of, of godly parents. This city was founded by the heathen. And God took it over, gave it to his people. She despised that love that God showed her and played the heart. Now he's speaking to the city, but understand a city is only a city because of people. If you never have any people in a city, that city never is never a city. It never has any significance. It's only significant because of the people and the buildings and things that the people build in that city and the influence and the things that city comes becomes known for. But it's the people that make the city. So when he prophesies against the city, he's also prophesying against the people. So she despised the love and played the harlot, trusting in her own beauty. One in the application here that when we take on things of the kingdom of darkness, we separate from the vine and our fruitlessness, our fruitfulness ends. Instead, we bear the deeds of the flesh instead of the fruit of the spirit. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the rest of Ezekiel 16. That was tough enough to get through the first time. This is the most avoided of all prophecies. There was even an age requirement among the Jewish people before this prophecy was to be read. And uh, we struggled along with it there. And uh, Last November, if you want to go back and, and dig into that one, go right on ahead. You have all the information there you want to about the sisters. There were three sisters in particular that talked about. In Ezekiel 17, we have the eagle and the vine. We went over some of the historical background for this parable. Some of the other places in Scripture where this, uh, this parable helps them make sense of it. The great eagle is Babylon. And it came to Lebanon. Uh, Jeremiah 22 and 23 will have a reference to that. The highest branch is likely the royal house and the topmost young twig is likely referring to Jehoiachin. In verse 5, some of the seed of the land is likely referring to Zedekiah of the royal house whom Nebuchadnezzar set up. And then we have a second great eagle that appears and this is Egypt. It never worked out well for Israel to lean on Egypt. But hey, why not try it again? So the vine leans the way of Egypt. They're supposed to lean in the way of Babylon. That's what the prophecies are. But they have this tendency to go over to Egypt. And Zedekiah is one of those who's of the persuasion that we should be leaning towards Egypt. 
And uh, so there was a political party in Judah that favored Egypt, and there's a political party in in, uh, there that favored Babylon. And so Zedekiah leaned that way. Now Jeremiah the prophet, he spoke against this. But when our roots don't go where they should, no great power is needed to uproot us. And this is what's going to happen here. The account, we went over the account in the lesson in Zedekiah, Second Chronicles chapter 36. If you want to go back and look at that or just if I go back to the lesson, we spent more time looking at the account than we're going to, we're not going to spend any time on it here tonight, but that was, uh, that was done. Now in the end of this chapter, we have a messianic prophecy. And it speaks about the coming uh, branch to the vine that the Messiah would bring. Babylon wanted to sustain fallen Judah, but God wanted it brought down so he could build it again on the right foundation. So Babylon is the instrument of God. He wants them to judge Israel, but Babylon keeps extending pity. Not mercy, pity. And so you would think that after they rebelled the first time that Babylon said, forget it, but they didn't. They said, we're going to give you another shot. And so then they rebelled again. This time they came down on the third time, coming down and laying siege to the city. They destroyed the city. But uh, God wanted it destroyed. And Babylon was the one dragging their feet on it. And that's and that's something. God says, destroy it. We're going to build it up again. Now, let's take a look at the overall scheme of things. I put as much of this in there as I could. The rest you can write down if you want to. But we are not the only ones to have to discern between good counsel and bad. Godly prophecies and those that are false, beneficial teaching and harmful teaching. We're not the only ones. People in the Old Testament did. People in the New Testament did. People before our day did and after the New Testament. It has been done. We need to learn from what has gone on. So since we're not the first, learn from those in the past and understand the traits of what is of God and the traits of what is not of God. If it's of God, it will be good and it will be beneficial. If it is not of God, it will be harmful and not good. But our disobedience may put us in a place where the word of God to us is not what we want or expect. And this is what Israel faced. Their disobedience had moved them into a place that the word they're getting from God, they don't expect this. They expect God to be on their side. They expect God to establish them forever. They expect God to defend the city. These are their expectations, but their disobedience moved them out in that place. Any word that goes against those expectations, they reject as false. But they're not seeing that their disobedience moved them out of that spot. If we yield to disobedience, if we yield to the things that are false, we're not going to get the things from God, God speaking to us, that we expect. I expect to be the head, not the tail. I expect to be in abundance, not and not lack. And yet, we're going to find ourselves in those places if we if we are disobedient to the Word of God. So, when God speaks to us and corrects us on those things, we have to yield to it. If we don't yield to the correction, we won't benefit in the long run. So, when God gives us correction, He's trying to say, "Look, you have gone in the wrong way." Now take this correction and come around and you can get back into the place where I can bless you. But Israel wasn't listening to it. They kept going in the same direction and prophets were raised up to say, no, keep going in this direction. We're going good. So they kept going that way and then finally destruction just came and they were wiped out. Dispersed. 
taken into captivity, so forth. Those who say God sent them, but God did not send them, or give them a message, are able to be determined by some very common traits. And that's well, you'll see that in some of these uh, prophetic messages. That which is not of God will not satisfy in the way words, ministries, and messages from God do. Some of these things that people are, are doing in church and saying in church, well, there's no satisfaction from this. Can you Have you ever maybe uh, stumbled upon a church service you saw on TV and you're listening to it and you're saying, what in the world is this? Because it's not feeding your spirit. There's absolutely no food there for your spirit at all. And, and you're not... But then there's people in the, in the church, oh, this is good, oh, this is great. Because all they're used to is having their flesh fed, whereas you got used to having your spirit fed. And if you're used to having your spirit fed, when you get into a place that's just feeding your flesh, it's not satisfying. It's not, it's not good. Lacking what God provides us, we will not produce fruit and become the fruitless vine and useless. So once we become hooked on things that feed our flesh instead of things that feed our spirit, our production is reduced and we become the fruitless vine. And we're just set for destruction. The enemy knows this. He wants his, he wants God's people to feed on things that would keep them weak and keep them out of the, the way that God wants them to go. Not developing their spirit, not able to hear what God is speaking to them. So feeling useless when a great eagle of the world takes notice of us or a suitor for our affections, and that would be chapter 16. We leave the one who made us great for whatever, for whatever, whoever flatters or entices, becoming the adulteress. This is why chapter 16 is put in there. This is the flow of this whole thing. You can, you can see how they, they all kind of flow together. The enemy strives to get us in a similar state today so that what is evil will have appeal to us as we search for value and worth. I feel worthless because I'm not producing fruit. I'm just a vine. And I can't produce fruit because I become detached from the Spirit. Because I'm feeding my flesh. I'm not feeding my spirit. And when a great eagle like Babylon or Egypt would show up and they would have interest in helping us, we would go after it. Or as chapter 6 went on and talked about the adulteress, here is someone who sees me as valuable, as having worth. And because I feel so worthless, because I'm not producing the fruit that I was created to produce, this is how Israel fell into adultery. This is how they pursued other things. And that ends where we will get to tonight. And we'll pick up on some of the others. But the, can you see the flow from each of these? We didn't, we, we couldn't really look at that as we're looking at each one real closely. But here as we, we stand back, we can see how it's, it, how God is showing this, this, this flow of things and how they have gone through this cycle and where they are at this point, and how that same cycle will affect Christians today. There are many Christians who sit in church on Sundays and are completely happy 
with things that just feed their flesh, not realizing that they have become a completely useless vine. And when other things show up and show them some attention, people pursue these false religious things. They pursue these false spirits and they pursue these these things that are not of God. They call them God because they need them to be God. I still want to see myself as faithful to God even though what I'm pursuing isn't God at all. Happens to us today, but it's no different than what happened to Israel in these days. And we still have one more week on this and we'll get into that in the week to come. Father, I thank you for the words that you give us here. You show us that the things that we face in our day are really no different from the things we faced, the church faced before or that the nation of Israel faced before that. Because the enemy that we come against and the enemy who comes against us is the same. His tactics are the same. He inspires those who are in his armies the same. And if we just recognize the enemy, we'll recognize those that are false very easily. But I thank you for your great love for us that just as you showed this love for Israel, no matter how much they walked away, no matter how much they played the harlot, no matter how much they despised the love that you poured out on them, though you pulled them out of a place of no one wanting them and made them into someone great so that everyone wanted them. You still loved them and you still wanted them to come back because of your great love. We thank you that that great love is still in you for us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.